What's going on, good people? My name is Curtis McSears, the founder and CEO of Supreme Glory Apparel, more known as SGA Print Shop. And look, we're excited. We're excited to sponsor this week's episode of the Underground Footy Podcast. All right, I want to welcome everybody back to the second episode of the Underground Footy Podcast. Today, I'm real excited to have Joe Jow of FC Cincinnati, MLS player, but the story is crazy. So we're going to jump into it. So I got to ask you, are you ready to step on the subway? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. How did it start, man? How did your love affair with this beautiful game start? Um, it started, you know, my dad, obviously, he introduced me to the game. Um, I want to oh, say. Wait, I wait, wait, wait. For those that don't know, your dad is Philip Jow, yep. who in the DMV is, is somewhat of a legend as, a, as, as both a player and as, I mean, he's he's a heck of a talent developer as well. I mean, and quite obviously yourself, your sister, and assorted other national team players and, you know, and, and pros can attest to it. So, okay. Well, we, I'll talk to him another time, though. So we're going to talk about your story, all right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, so uh, he introduced me to the game, I want to say as young as, I don't know, three um just playing around in the house um he was bringing me to his his games you know when he was still playing he was um he was in the last the last years of his career when i was uh when i was coming up and um yeah just him he's the one that introduced me to it 100 okay okay and so your first experience with like when you were three he would just kick around with you and mess with you, I I assume. Yeah. Did you have like a group of, of people that you played with or it was just you and him? Not that I remember. It was just me <laughs> and him. It was just me and him. At first, I actually, I just wanted to play basketball because it was easier. I was able to use my hands. We had this little Fisher-Price hoop in the basement and I used to just want to go down there and dunk. And then he was like, he didn't say no, but like he always made sure we got our hours in playing soccer, you know. And then uh -huh. as uh, I started to get older, you know, four or five, and I started to get better, started to get some of the small things he was doing with me as I started to get more familiar with it. Then that's when I, I just shifted fully into in the soccer. But it was uh, it was strictly just me and him in the beginning. And I didn't start playing organized till I mean, it's still early, but I didn't start playing like my first games till I was about six six yeah six going on seven that's when i started like you know meeting a couple guys in the area so so was was that what was that a league or a yeah. club i mean who did who, who were you playing with that was the league so my first game was with dc stoddard mm -hmm. this is like uh i forgot what park it what park it was northwest dc shep not Shepherd Park, Shepherd, yeah, yeah, Big Park, yeah, where they have that, uh, where they have that tennis arena. Uh huh. 
So right. Oh, around, I know what you're talking about. I yeah. know what you're talking or about. Or the Rock Creek. Yeah, that's Rock Creek. Rock Creek. Tennis yeah. Center. Rock Creek yes. Park. Yep. We we're in Maryland, folks, in DC for, for those that uh <laughs> don't know. I mean Joe's in Cincinnati right now. And I'm yeah. in Maryland, but okay. So you started playing and you were with a squad. Now, those guys, did they stay with you? Who was coaching that team? This guy, his name was who was coaching that DC? <laughs> I don't even. I don't even have to ask Pops, huh? <laughs> no, it wasn't. My dad wasn't coaching that team. My dad yeah. wasn't coaching that team yet. It was somebody else. But I just remember we played this team that was also in that DC Stoddard League. They were called the Roadrunners. We played yeah. against them, uh-huh. and they were they were really good. They had a lot of good players, and our team we were okay. But I remember they just beat us. But after that, the coach of that team, his name was Ula Sand, a Norwegian guy. He came to my pops and he was like, "Hey, how would you feel about you know you know joining joining players, uh, joining forces, you know, having your son come play on on the Roadrunners and everything?" And we'll switch we'll switch leagues. We can you know make a new club. And how about you coach with me? So then that's when my dad started like coaching me on the club level full time. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Roadrunners started. Okay. All right. So the Roadrunners, they kind of they kind of a legendary squad. I mean, so tell me about their the, the progression that you took with that. Okay. So once we started with the Roadrunners, then we switched clubs. We went to Bethesda. This is like early, early, early Bethesda. You know, like uh, you know the the heads of Bethesda right now, Jonathan Colton and Brett Colton. Those guys were like just finishing college. They were not even coaching yet. They were doing like soccer camps for Pete Mailer. So this is like early stages. We started with them. And we had a big tryout, huge tryout, um, and that's where I started meeting a lot of people. A lot of other guys in the area started coming out, and pretty much. We just started nitpicking all the best players from each of these each of these tryouts. My dad obviously had a good eye for talent, and Ula knew that. So that's when we started, you know, picking guys, and um, that's how the Roadrunners that's how the Roadrunners came to be. Now, this was still like the early stages. wasn't like you know the full fledged form of the team yet, but like I was on this team. This guy, this kid named Sam Bradley, was on the squad. He went on to play for the national team. Um, you know, uh, a number of different guys were on that team. So, and then that's when my father was coaching me. And then we went on, my dad started to do his own, wanted to do his own thing, like simultaneously in the OBSL. So this was NCSL. Then he wanted an OBSL team and this was the storm. Now this is where I met my best friend. We had a big tryout till the middle school, a Liberian kid, his name is Lester Dewey. This is where I met him. I've heard that name. He had to try out my, he came to the tryout and Pebo Due also. Pebo, okay. My dad, their dad, like our dads, they just started linking up talking. They they saw what my dad was trying to do immediately. You know, Lester came on board. Pebo was on the team. Pebo went on to play for the national team. Lester went on to play for the national team. Lester went on to play for Marseille, play for Newcastle. He played for FC Mets. He played uh, in Sweden for Engelholm. Um, Lester, Lester went on and played everywhere. Left. Hey, you guys are the same age, though. 
same age. All of us are the same age. Okay. So who, I mean, because, you know, one of the questions, I mean, because I did ask people to send me some questions. And, I mean, it's jumping a little ahead. Yeah. But how did you leave the country at that time? Now, the explanation, I think I know, but but just explain how did guys get out of the country to go play in these places? How did they get found? How, what was the process? Things like that. So this is before the states even had like a system in place for dudes to get overseas. Like, you know, this was before the academy. This was before like MLS even had youth teams, really. Um, but we had the ODP system. So every all the best players in the state go out for ODP tryouts. You make the Maryland state team. Then all the best players in the state, once you're on the Maryland state team, you go play against every other state. So, you know, you're in region one, that's New York, Virginia, uh, Rhode Island, you know, all those different places. You play against all those different states. Those coaches, they'll come scout everybody from those games and then they'll pick guys to go into the regional camp. So the regional camp was held at Rutgers University. It's about, you know, 500 kids. Mm, wow. And then you're over there three uh, training three times a day. It's hot in the summer. And then once you at the regional camp, then they pick the regional team. So out of those 500 guys, they only pick 50. So then you're on the regional team. So then you have four regions that make up the country. So region one, two, three, four. So all of us guys are region one. Then we went to Boston, Massachusetts. This was like the national pool. We played against region two, three, and four. And we were beating everybody region one. And region one was, it was a lot of guys from Maryland. It was a, I would say about 10 of us were from Maryland. And, you know, a couple guys from New York, maybe one or two guys from like Vermont, but like mainly, Vermont, mainly like, uh, mainly, oh, and Pennsylvania. It was mainly Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New York. So then from that 120 p uh, player pool, then they narrowed it down to the national team. So it was about like 25 guys. So then I made that, this is like, I'm 12 years old and I stay on this team all the way up to, you know, whenever. And we play tournaments out of the country. And then that's how I got scouted. when We were playing these tournaments in Spain and stuff like that. And that would be how Lester and all of them got, got seen. Yeah. Okay. So then the thought that American kids don't play on a level to play in Europe you wouldn't agree with that at that point. It was never true. That was never true. It was just, you know, what a lot of people would like to think was true, you know, just because they couldn't understand the landscape out here. But right. the talent has always been there. It's not like this is just some newfound thing. The talent has always been here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you, you, you've, you've, you've gotten to the, I guess, the top of the mountain in ODP. Yeah. Right. At that point. Now, you went to TSG Hoffenheim, right? Yeah. OK. How did that come about? So we're playing a tournament with the under 17 national team in Spain. Uh, we're playing the Spain national team, played against Real Madrid, a couple teams. And uh, their head scout, like the head of the academy, saw me play in those games. I had no idea anybody was there. But I had an agent at the time, and they contacted him, and they told him that they wanted to. You sign. you already had an agent at this point. 
Yeah. So your intention was to go pro. It wasn't like, I mean, was there an issue with, oh, going to college if you had an agent? Because you know how now they'll be like, oh, if you signed with an agent, right? you know, that could be a problem. Before, so before I had gone into residency and all of that, I went on a college visit. I went to Maryland University on a college visit. And mm -hmm. I visited, you know, with Rodney Wallace because I knew him from high school. We went to high school together. Mm -hmm. I vis that was the only school I visited. But then after I went to residency, I already had my eyes set on playing in Europe. So, right. That's, so, uh, yeah, they contacted my agent. Um, and it was a res relatively quick process. Like, I mean, I was really young. I don't remember all the details about it. Of course. Um, but, yeah, I just remember, you know, 16 is when they when they signed me and Charles. Wow. Okay. So now you're at TSG. You're, 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 you're playing. Now, did you go – I mean, what's, what's the process? Did you go straight to the first team? Did you go through the under 19s? And oh, first, before I could, because I couldn't go straight over there until I was close to my 18th birthday. So they sent me on loan to the Vancouver Whitecaps. Me and Charles were living in Canada for our senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. and, and we were playing there. And there was a German coach that was familiar with, uh, that was, you know, a partner with Hoffenheim that was there that was training us. So, you know, we were. That's to... how they kept an eye on you and made sure your development stayed on the track they wanted you on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at the time, he would call us in before school. The school would let him use like one of the portables in the back, and we would watch game film every morning before school. And he would coach us on what positions we were going to play because, like, one thing that has changed a lot in the States is like the tactical aspect. Back then, like, we didn't know nothing about, you know, I, I mean, I knew a bit of it, but I didn't know, like, to, the, to that extent about the tactical game. So he would coach us every morning in the portable before school about where we're supposed to move, where the coaches want us to be, what they want us to do. Every morning we were, you know, on the whiteboard, moving the markers, watching. At the time, Carlos Eduardo was playing number 10, and I was a number 10 at the time. So they were showing me where to go, what to do, this, that, and third. So that was every morning. And we did that for a whole year. And then when I was 17 and 17 and nine months, 17 and eight months or something like that, um, that's when I went over to Hoffenheim officially. Okay. So you're at Hoffenheim. You're playing. Yeah. Now, what's the progression? Because ultimately, you ended up at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Right now, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, Pulisic was the first guy to break through and, and go there. But you were there with Jurgen Klopp, correct? Yeah. OK, yeah. so 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 tell me about that experience. Um, first of all, shout out to Christian. You know, that's the that's the homie right there. I know him, his dad, his cousin Will, all all real good people. Those are real good people, you know. Uh, real humble, real humble kid right there. Real, I even say kid, man. He's a man now. Real humble, real humble dude. Um, but yeah, so I was at Hoffenheim. I started with the U19s. I was there for six months, and then they moved me to the second team, and then I was there for another six months, and then they moved me up immediately to the first team. Um, 
yeah, I was, I mean, each, each level I was at, I was scoring goals. I was doing my thing. And, you know, that's when they, that's why things moved as quickly as they did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm saying it like it's fast, but a lot of things happened in that time. Like <laughs> I bet a whole, a whole lot of stuff happened in that time. Um, and it's funny, you see a lot of faces come in and out of your life in the football world because the football world is really small. So long story short, while I was at Hoffenheim, I was playing with the U19, but the U17 coach was David Wagner. So as I'm going to Dortmund, David Wagner was now the second team coach. And he told me that he remembered me when I first came over. And I was like, oh crap, I, I didn't even know because I, I, I never played with the 17s. So um, he had brought me in with him because he knew what I could do with Hoffenheim. And um, yeah, that's how that came to be. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember when you, when, you, when you broke in over there and that was, that was a big deal, man. That was a real big deal. Um, what, are, what are some of the, the differences between like you were at Germany in the early stages of a lot of Americans, well, Americans heading over, right? And then you look at the way the situation is now, like obviously, like we got like like BK, Ryan KO is over there now. And I mean, it's it's just like cats are trying to get there, right? But what are the differences in the way things were then as opposed to what you saw? I mean, obviously you just came back from Germany not long ago. So what what kind of changes did you see happen between you know Hoffenheim? to when you finally left? Um, I would just say, you know, the they were a little bit more open to it. I remember when I first went out there, they like, you know, um, I was explaining this to somebody else. Like when I first went out there, there was no Instagram. There was no, there was none of that. So there wasn't that, that pathway you know, where you could see a little bit of what other places were like, you know. So a lot of those kids that I played with didn't know what an African-American was like. They didn't know what America was like. There was no way for them to even know, you know what I mean? So me coming over there to play with them or to, to quote unquote, take their jobs <laughs> was something totally new for them. So, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, it was just it was just ignorance. You know, I got a lot of silly questions, a lot of, you know, a lot of hate early on. People were always asking me why didn't why don't I play football? Why don't I play basketball? It was like it was still very new to them that soccer was as big as it is in the states. You know, they were well, always asking, "Huh?" Oh no, I was I was gonna say so, but there were there were black players there from other countries, right? Yeah, you know, you, yeah, you got uh, French kids. You know, yeah. you got a couple African kids you know brazilians and things like that but those are soccer known soccer known country soccer country so so the question was more because you were from america yeah than you being black because what they knew of black americans were football and basketball football track you know things yeah. like that oh man so all right now one of the like i asked people to send me in questions and one of the questions 
that uh, one of the guys had was, well, why did you, what triggered you? What, what made you decide to come back stateside and, and play in the MLS? Cause I was in Germany for nine years uh-huh. and you know, it got a lot of experiences. I was, I was tired of it. I was tired of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was tired of being away for a long time. I was tired of, you know, going through certain things. I, you know, I was, I was like, man, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to, you know, um, you come across, you come across a lot of different situations. You may come across, you know, certain coaches, uh, players that, that make certain situations, like less desirable, you know what I mean? So that's, right. I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, me coming back for like playing, like playing reasons or anything like that. I was, it was just, right. I didn't want to be out there anymore. Okay. Now look, I got some other questions they put on the table for me, but I also want to kind of stay on track here. So yeah. now you're, you, you, you've, you've come back yeah. to, the, to the United States and <laughs> Another question is, what is the let me let me read it. The dis is the discovery rule. Yeah. How did that how does that work? Because I saw one of one of my one of my friends on Twitter, he said, Is the discovery rule like playing that's my car when you were a little kid? Pretty much. <laughs> it's just like calling dibs. It's just like calling dibs on something. So you can put um, discovery rule is basically any team can just put a player on their wish list pretty much. Mm-hmm. And whenever you decide to come back, they got first dibs. And whoever wants to get you from that team, they'll have to trade for something or pay something. And this is this is an MLS. This is an MLS, yeah. Right. So at what point, so do you say to your agent, you know what, I think I'm ready to head back stateside. Yeah. And then he initiates contact to say hey you know joe jow is gonna about to become available is is that how it works yeah so um you know it could be a a general manager reaching out to you um and then the agent will come and say okay such and such is looking you know pretty it's it's just like any other transfer in the world but then you just have a different set of rules when you're coming to the states you know like allocation orders things like that so me i'm of a i'm of a certain age so i didn't have to go into like a draft process or anything like that uh i could just you know i could just not necessarily go to whatever team i wanted but i just didn't have to go into a draft i had a little bit of control of where i wanted to go okay so how did you find out um, cause obviously you, you're at FC Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I do know, like I knew they had, they, they had changed over to an MLS club, but prior to that, I'd seen some footage of the Cincinnati, the Cincinnati people are crazy about soccer. Like yeah. I saw us when they were USL, they had like 40,000 people in the stands, Yeah, which is more than more than not established MLS squads were able to pull down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, crazy atmosphere. I mean, when I, when I eventually made it out here and I was able to experience it myself, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely a great atmosphere, better than some atmospheres in Europe. <laughs> did you, did it catch you off guard or were you just like, you uh-huh. had already kind of studied up? I mean, I had already seen it. I had already seen it. Like some of my friends had already 
been playing at Cincinnati before and they had told me about it, you know? So, but um, I'm not going to say I was surprised or anything because I know uh, the States gets a lot of great crowds as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I'll just say, you know, Cincinnati, you, you got a baller, you know, and I, and I see that uh, I've been keeping track of that. They're bringing in some players as well that look like they're going to be very promising. Um, you know, another thing that, especially in DMV, people don't know about is hell is real. Mm. So what, can you share a little bit about what that is? If somebody punches in hashtag hell is real, it's not going to be what you think that might pop up. Yeah, it's the Derby, man. It's the Derby, you know, Columbus versus Cincinnati. Um, you know, they got the best of, they got the better of us a little bit last season. We did end up beating them one time, but they ended up winning the whole the whole tournament. But that's like that's the Derby that's that's building up. You know, they're what an hour and a half up the road. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I think it's cool just to be in the early stages of something like that, of an early tradition. You know, uh, to hopefully become a big Derby down the line all right now i can't remember the name of the highway that connects the two but i do you do you remember what it is like i-71 or something like that yeah yeah well i made that trip uh one time because uh i was with, with my with my older son we had gone to look at uh at cincinnati actually the university and um on the way you see uh, the, the, the name of the, the Hell is Real Derby comes from a sign that yeah, a farmer yeah. has in his, now it's like some Bible verses and some other things, but the, the sign that everyone, that catches everyone's eye says, Hell is Real. Yeah. And so I, I, it was explained to me that that's where the name came from. And it's like almost dead center between the two, the yeah. two cities. So. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of a tidbit, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah. You know, um, now another thing that for a lot of our, our, our young players and, and, and stuff like that, like I know that social media is on a whole nother level now. Right. So with a lot of these kids, everybody has an IG, you know, you can put your clips and you can do different things. What kind of advice would you give to the players about dealing with social media? Um, basically, you control your own narrative. So it can either go one way or the other way. Mm-hmm. You, you control what you want the people to see. So if you want the people to see some certain side of you that you think is you, they are going to see it and they'll perceive it any way they want to. You know what I mean? So just make sure you're perceiving yourself in the best professional light as possible. That's all I would say. And I mean, if you choose to, you know, portray yourself any other way, that's your choice. It's your profile. Um, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but just know a lot of people are out there. It's a public profile. They can go on your thing and say whatever they want to about you or, you know, GMs, fans, people scouting you. They can look at your profile and draw up a conclusion about you that is something that's not you, but based on your photos, they might think they know you and be like, oh, this mm. is either somebody that we want or don't want. So that's social media for you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that 
you know, it's definitely something that, you know, it's, it's stung a couple of folks. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into naming any names or anything like that, but I do know that, like you say, you can put out there what you want, but sometimes it can paint you into a corner. So you, you, you do have to somewhat be careful. Now, obviously, you know, uh, like they had a players for change and you have different, like things happen in society. And now players are, are speaking their truth, you know, about how they see things. And I think that um, that's something that I've noticed that, you know, especially established players such as yourself, you have a handle on it and you and you have things that that you want to say and and now you know there is there are platforms for people to say kind of what what it is that they want to say you know so again like like you said you can you can you can say what you want but just be able to stand behind what you're saying i i suppose um now what is what do you see as the differences in the styles of play? I mean, in the MLS relative to to what you saw in Germany, um what 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 is, what is, what is it that you, I mean, and obviously you played other teams in Europe as well. So I mean, it could be country to country for all I know. Can you can you share a little bit about that? Um I would just say the tactics of the game is just a little bit is just a bit different, you know. Um, out in Germany, everything was a bit more tight. In the States, everything is a bit more spread out. Um, but now, you know, skill-wise and everything like that, I wouldn't say that there's a big difference. Mm -hmm. I would say in the States, the game is like a it's an open game. In Germany, it's much more structured. Uh, they pay much more attention to detail, things like that. Um, yeah, that's, those are probably the main, that's, that's the main thing. They just pay attention to a lot of detail, a lot of detail. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the main difference that I would, that I would say. Now, another thing that players will deal with is a, a lot of times when people from the outside are looking in at professional players, they think it was just one smooth pathway. They were always the best, so on and so forth. Now, you know, there was an episode in, in I mean, there's lots of episodes in your life, I mean, in your career, in your career path. But, you know, the big one was what happened, in, you know, playing for the national team with your with your knee injury. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had spoken to your pop some about it. And it, it basically, your your chances of playing again were not, you were not given a big shot at it. But I'm he said. I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be playing. I'm not supposed to be playing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be playing. Um, but yeah, you know, for for the longest time I was mad about it. For the longest time I was, you know, me against the world. I want to revenge. You know what I mean? I was mad about it. But yeah, it's a part of the game. It's a, it's a part of the game, man. Like it. it, it but, but what 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 was the? I mean, what was the time frame that it took from? You, like, tell me about when you got the injury. To what you went through to get back because it seriously sounds like some some serious science fiction yeah. 
that what they were able to do and had it been in this country you might not have even been able to pull it off yeah um so i had to get a so first the initial injury was a bone bruise tibia and fibia they smashed together and i had a really bad bone bruise so initially we were just looking at the bone bruise so normally that takes like four or five weeks so in four weeks i'm already back playing like i'm I'm running around the field. Klopp is asking me how I'm feeling. He says, okay, just get your games back in. Uh, get a couple games in with the second team and then see how it is. Da, 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 da. So I'm playing. And I'm I'm playing. I'm playing fine. But after every game, I'm in, I'm in sheer pain. Like, I'm in real pain. I can't walk from my car to my door. And then I can't really shower. I can't really sleep right. So then uh, I go home for the offseason season never really gets better even after not doing anything and i come back and i get another checkup and the doctor says a piece of cartilage had fallen off your knee so since the bone bruise was so severe the cartilage that's supposed to grow on top of that bone it fell off so it was about the size of a the size of a nickel probably i mean it may seem small but like on the area of your knee that's a pretty big area and cartilage doesn't regenerate so you know like straightening my leg bending my leg i couldn't do it putting weight on my leg i couldn't do it and so i had to get a transplant and the transplant like they only do that on elderly people that are just trying to walk again not athletes that are trying to play soccer again and the procedure that i was gonna have to get is not even allowed in america it was like um a lot of places don't even do it stem cell research like some of the cells in my knee had to get sent to a lab in Switzerland so they could clone it and then put it back in my knee. So that whole process, it was like four, oper it was like, it was a, the transplant was a two part operation. And then I had to get the microfracture to let the bone bruise heal. And I couldn't do it all at once. So there was a microfracture and I had to wait five months to get the first part of the transplant. And then three weeks later, they put it back in. So. That was where all the surgeries, that all took about 22 months. And in that time, in that time, I'm just out in Germany, just, you know. Right, because you couldn't, you couldn't come home and continue with the treatments. No. So, so you're just in your own head at that point. In my own, it's the per perfect way to put it. I'm just in my own head, my, miles, miles away from home, different time zone coming off of a just like coming off of a, a high moment in my career right like yeah i remember what you looked like in that game bro <laughs> i was like this dude is about to take off coming off of a high moment in my career and then getting thrown down into a into a ditch it's like you know now that i'm like out of it now that i've survived it you know, even like shortly after the injury, I didn't really know how to process that. I didn't even know really how to like talk about it. But it was definitely like traumatic. It was traumatic. It was like post-traumatic because even when I started playing again, I had to get over. I had to like try and forget. I had to try and forget what happened. And it was so hard because I was limping. I didn't want to hurt it again. I was always thinking like, oh, my God, what if I have to do this again? Like it was scarred in my head. I had to literally like before i had to before i went to treatment i had to 
play in my head how it was going to land on my knee so I wouldn't, like, be too scared about it. And then thinking about, like, trying to run again, trying to sprint, trying to cut, trying to do all that stuff. I had to, like, think for hours before I went out and actually did it because I was just so worried about redoing it. Did you get did you get some sort of like sports psychology on that or did you just handle this by yourself? I I had I had a I had two people uh Klinsman uh linked them with me. They would come and we would talk once a week mm-hmm. you know, just to like get things off my chest a bit. Ain't no me at first like I'm not trying to talk about nothing, you know. Right, right. Yeah. I didn't want but sooner or later like I started to open up and I had to, I needed to, because it was just too much, pent- it was just, it was too much stuff pent up. Like, you know, other stuff goes on in life, but like, I love soccer, you know, like I love. You know I mean, and you had, you had made a lot of sacrifices yeah. to get to that point. And then you're like, dang, I could have, you know, yeah, whatever, yeah. went to my prom. <laughs> you know, or something like that. If 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 this is how it's gonna end up, so now you fought back through that. Yeah. I mean, because you're an explosive player. Yeah. I mean, it's a big part of your game, and um, you know, I watched you last year, and I see the way you move now, and I see how hard you train. You know, so I mean, obviously, you got you got past it. But I think it's cool that you can share it because, like, we got guys getting injuries constantly. Not most of the time as severe as what you're, what you de- you're, you dealt with. But it is something that, especially like parents, need to understand too. That it's not just like okay, you're better, and you run the kid back out or whatever. Oh. And if the kid is hurt, let him rest. You, yeah, you know. Let him rest, you know. That's uh that's a a main thing is like management, load management. Mm-hmm. When I was when I was injured, I was just I, I used to watch one guy. I used to just watch Derrick Rose when I was injured, because I mean he he tore his ACL. Like after he was MVP and he tore his ACL, tore his MCL, messed it up again, messed up his ankle, and each time he kept coming back. You know, and then now finally he's back doing his thing, but he always talk about load management. You know, me when I was playing off of raw athleticism, like I'm running full speed down the line and I'll just cut on the dime and not even think about like what that's really doing to my forces you're generating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, cool. I could do it. I, I could still do it. But like, that stuff is it's not long you won't have longevity right you you save it for moments you save for moments when it's like okay it's a surefire goal i'm about to do this but like no need to be trying to do outlandish things like that all the time right i mean i remember you know talking to your pops and he was you know one of the things that he had told me was that speed is, is almost like an illusion. So you slow down to speed up. But a lot of players, if they have speed and quickness, they want to use it all the time. It's like, that's their tool. But at the highest levels, a lot of people are very fast. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Yeah. You know? gotta, gotta know how to gotta know how to mix it up. Gotta know how to mix like it up. Salt on your food. It, it helps, but yep. you know. And and as far as like the technical stuff, when you when you talk about technical training and stuff like that, um what do you think the balance is between like playing, you know, pickup and stuff like that and doing the drills? Now, obviously you're, you're, you're a pro, but coming up, how, how did they mix it up for you? So when I was coming up, I mean, uh, playing and, and, and technical was usually mixed. So, you know, we would come out, we would do the sessions, we'll do the technique for hours before, and then at the end we'll just play. But, um, that was, you know, we were just playing all the time and doing the technique, you know, on the side, or I would do it on my own with my dad and things like that. And then when it was time to play, I would just come out and play. But now that I'm older, um, man, I, you know, I'll, I'll come out if my, if some of my boys tell me to come out, I'll, you know, I'll turn up a little bit on the pickup side, but I try and stay away from it because it's right, like right. well you 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 you're met you're metering it out now you understand yeah the load management like you said and then even even that like you know every time there's pickup there's always one person that you may not know there and that one person could just kick you and then you know here you are you're getting paid to play and then you play a pickup and you get hurt <laughs> and here comes this guy wanting to say stop your job exactly so right yeah well no i mean like i said i'm thinking more like for the parents that are looking at this and saying you know because right now i look on instagram and stuff and i see so many people just showing all these drills and whatnot the kids are doing and i'm wondering because like we do our no mercy open runs we just like we invite people out and they just you know, they go after it, you know, it's small sided little goals, you know, you get nutmeg, you get, you know, all of these things that the kids think is, is so much fun. And at the end of the day, this is a game. And once the fun is gone, I mean, obviously as you get higher up, there's mm -hmm. business to be handled. Yeah. But if you make it a business for a kid that's nine, 10 years old. Yeah. No his chances, I think, are significantly reduced of, of really, you know, he could turn around at 16 and be like, you know what? I think I want to hang out with my boys and become a gamer or, you know, something yeah. that's fun. Yeah, no, the like some of the, be some of the best moments I have planned were just, you know, playing those sessions with some of my best friends, just having a good time out there. Like it was still real hard training. It was still competitive, but just like it was still fun. Cause you know, everybody's high level, everybody's competing, you know, th those were definitely some of the best moments. You gotta have fun with it. Cause if you're not having fun with it, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? You know? All right. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm not going to, I know you got to train in the morning, so we're not going to, we're not going to drag this out, but I, I just want to tell you, I, I appreciate, Oh, wait, I got one more set of questions that somebody texted into me. So I'm, I promised the man I was gonna ask. And so you gotta answer these, all right? No worries. <laughs> all right. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. All right, here we go. <laughs> if you were the president of US soccer, not the president of the United States, of US soccer, what's the first thing you would do to improve youth training landscape so we can start generating more players 
in the big European leagues? Um, just having, uh, I mean, kind of a little bit what Jurgen Klinsmann was trying to do with the MLS team. Just every, every MLS team, you have your academy, you have your setup like that. So then you have like that, that um, what is it? That foundational basis, you know, you go to Europe, every team, they have a team all the way down to like U6. Mm-hmm. And then they, on a, they do the, they train the same philosophy that the first team trains. If the first team is playing a 4-3-3, all the youth teams will be playing a 4-3-3, tra- gearing them towards a certain level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, just trying to align, align things like that. Um, honestly, I would uh, I would also still try to keep ODP around because I felt like that was a great way to ID players as well still. But um, just making sure every every uh, every professional team still has their youth, youth side in order. Well, I mean, um, I know when I had spoken to Eddie Pope, he said that they they probably need to regionalize like the training centers and such along the lines of ODP. <laughs> so that- big, the country's too big to be for these coaches to be trying to travel to all these games like you need to have it regionalized like how they used to have it i mean that's just my opinion you know i feel like i think you're i think i mean i don't hear it out of (laughs) i'll listen to the guys that have been there and done that and um hopefully you know whoever's running it once things come out of this covid situation they'll you know because like i know that the 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 the, uh, i think it was the under 20 world cup was canceled oh really um U seventeens, you know, it's just like all of those are dead. It's just it's just first team because you know, like I said, I understand why. Yeah, but yeah. I also think that it's probably a good way for kids to really dig in, ha- learn to have fun with it. And you know, there's gonna be guys that come out of this much better, and there's gonna be guys that this kind of slowed their development tremendously. Yeah. And finally. Team Messi or Team Ronaldo? <laughs> Man, you know, uh, I want to say when I was younger, I used to be like around 08, 09, I used to be like Team Ronaldo, heavy, heavy, heavy. But now, you know, it's shifted a little bit. I like I like Messi a lot more just because, you know, now that you I have more knowledge of the game, you know, I like his movement. I like what he does, you know, his natural talent, natural ability. Overall, though, I'll probably say Ronaldo, man. He he influenced me a little bit more than Messi did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, like I said, neither one of them, <laughs> both of them are legends. So, oh. but like I said, I would, I, t- I said, I would ask, um, And finally, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, SGA Shop. That's the guy who does, you know, the PG Young Boys shirts and, well, we don't have hats because, well, you know, I don't really wear baseball caps. So we'd have to have like some beanies or something and our hoodies and whatnot. I know you have one. You didn't rock it tonight, but that's okay. But uh, SGA Shop, (laughs) SGA Shop is the... uh, uh-oh, uh-oh, and there we have two. The <laughs> other, listen, we we definitely have to talk about this. It's part of the, the social media platform. Yeah. You know, you have started Takeoff Media, correct? Yeah. What is the goal 
of Takeoff Media? What it, I mean, because I know for a long time you, you were sponsored by Nike. I don't know how that works if you got your own thing and then you're, you know, you're with one of the shoe companies. Cause I know with MLS, they don't even want the kids seen in another brand, you know? Mm-hmm. So I assume it's somewhat similar, but now you're doing your thing. Mm-hmm. Now I remember seeing, used to, I used to see this hashtag take off shorty. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But so I'm assuming that's, that's a. Yeah. So that's how it started. Uh, you know, I got the nickname from Ty, from Ty Hall. Ty He's Hall, big shout out. Shout out to the, the homie. Foot doctor. Yes, sir. <laughs> Big shout out. Um, that's the that's the bro. That's the that's the guy, man. Uh, he started. He gave me he gave me the nickname, and then um, that's how that's how the whole thing came to be. And basically, like you know, as a professional athlete, you got your, you know, you got the unique opportunity to be able to, you know, market yourself to be able to become your own brand, start your own business, you know, uh, create your own merchandise, just kind of take control of your whole avenue of how you want things to go. You know, I look at, I look at dudes like LeVar Ball, how he did with his kids, mm-hmm. you know, how he started his own thing. And, you know, he, he definitely, I mean, a lot of people, they were laughing in the beginning, but he scared a lot of big corporations when he was talking about why would my kids go sign for Nike when they got their own thing? Like, we don't need that. If you got our own thing, the big baller league, like uh-huh. funny how people were laughing about that. But the G League went ahead and stole that whole blueprint. You know what I mean? <laughs> just knowing, just knowing, um, you know, just trusting in your own creative mind and knowing your own self value. That's that's kind of like why I wanted to start my own thing. So what's your what's the IG handle? Uh, it's at Take Off Media. At Take Off Media, yeah. and uh, so I want everybody to follow. All right, and you know, as you, as you go through your process and I mean, I've seen some of the videos and stuff, you're doing some fantastic work. I'm going to probably be, uh, on the, uh, on the YouTube version of this, they're, they're, they're seeing some of your video right now. Okay. So those of you that are listening on the uh, podcast version, you might want to, you know, go and hit our, uh, our, 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 our inst- I mean, our YouTube channel and subscribe. Follow us on Spotify. I want to thank Joe for, for taking time out. You know, he just got back stateside. In addition to that, congratulations on your baby girl. I know that changes, that changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so she's beautiful. You know, I know you're working hard and you're going to, I mean, you, you're, you're going to be a great dad. Well, you are a great dad, but you got you got the easy part now. It's getting ready to get real crazy, but you're gonna love every step of it. So, again, thank you so much for coming on. You know, stepping on the subway on the Underground Footy Podcast, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks for having me. Sideway, some come straightway, big up, big up, step on the subway.